Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm here with Heidi Jostin and she's meeting me on a Sunday morning and I'm not at my best right now. <laughs> Uh, what I was about to tell you was I actually I think I heard one of your songs um, it was at uh, Atlas Arts at Cassandra Sang and Musicians yes. Brunch um, was it Thomas Bailey who was singing your song that's <laughs> yes, like secretly about the golden retriever spoiler it alert is. Yep, that's, that's it <laughs> I really like that song I really enjoyed it oh thank you he's performing it again this week so <laughs> oh good I'm so ready um so, uh, so we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk in, in just a minute about your uh, your program that's happening at Davenport's later this week on Thursday. Yes, right. Thursday. Yeah. Um, cheaper than therapy. It's gonna be great. Um, so I want to talk about like these are musical theater songs chiefly. Yes. And um, and it seems like you know I'm reading through your bio. You have a very very like varied background for sure you played like a, a million different instruments obviously you sing you play piano um but you g- seem to get a lot of inspiration from musical theater can yes. you tell me a little bit about how like that first became a big part of your artistic life both <laughs> as a cons- you know a consumer and as a a consumer of art and a maker of art Oh, gosh. Sure. Yeah. Where do I start? Um, (laughs) Cut me off when this gets too long. Um, So I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, like 90 miles east of Minneapolis. Population 1700, one stoplight. Graduating class of 54. Oh, my Um, God. Yeah. (laughs) But I was really lucky to have been raised by the music teachers in town. Both my parents are conductors and now they're college professors as conductors. And having that type of culture, um, I was never not exposed to music. I think I saw the Minnesota Symphony, or the Minnesota Orchestra, excuse me. Um, I saw them at least a dozen times before we went to Disney World. (laughs) That's just kind of what my normal life was. Um, We would listen to music. You're like, Mickey, I don't know him. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But I could spell Shostakovich by the time I was five. Um, (laughs) But... We had a very strong community theater program in the neighboring town. Mm -hmm. And so I was involved with that. I was involved with plays in church, but I never really thought that music was going to be my career choice. It just, it didn't seem like that was going to be the path for me. And then when I was 18, I started writing and I thought I was going to be a film scorer. Oh yeah! I was obsessed with film music. I loved everything that went into film music. I still loved musicals, went all the time. I saw Wicked here in Chicago when I was 15 and, like, couldn't breathe after Defying Gravity. Mm-hmm. I loved dramatic music, especially when a story was, a narrative was involved. 
And so I spent the first two years of my studies in college majoring in chemistry. I was Oh my god. Yep, I was I was going to be a doctor and never was I going into music. That was not going to be a thing and as I took more composition courses it made it very clear that yes, okay, that was going to be my path. And then I transferred schools to study that more seriously, but looking more into it, there is still a massive glass ceiling for women in film music. Yeah. They love to get oh them god. into a, a a copyist or an orchestrator role yeah, rather crazy. than um, let them actually take the helm with things. And I said I that is a life that I could have, but I don't like Los Angeles. I don't want to move there for this. Right. And then my senior year of college, I was in a production of Next to Normal where they gave me a live keyboard. And I said, wait, musical theater doesn't have to be like big dance numbers. Like right. my arthritic feet can still be on this stage and tell a story. <laughs> and wait, like I can actually do this. And the more that I looked into contemporary theater, I realized mm. that more women are being invited to the table. There are more stories that people want to tell that have this very deep pull towards it and mm-hmm. so um I've always I'd say for the past six or seven years I have bled musical theater <laughs> like both of my degrees are in classical music composition and I realized that as part of writing music for people the thing that I was missing in film music was the live element mm-hmm. and how just much more connected we are to watching people do things in front of us yeah. And especially with stage, having to recreate that same story, but recreate it live for people. I think that's why live performance still thrives to this day. Yeah. There's nothing the production quite of it. like seeing, you know, seeing it done like right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I also want to, I'm curious, um, do you have like some specific like musical theater heroes, like in terms of composers? Oh, gosh. Um, I have, like, 50 for all of the different reasons. Um, And I've met a few of them over the past few years, and so many of them are really great people. I mean, Stephen Sondheim is is one that everybody has. Like, Natch, yeah. (laughs) And everybody, what I love about Sondheim is everyone loves Sondheim for a different reason. He blew the lid off what musical theater could be. Mm -hmm. And so for anybody to be like, Sondheim's okay, it's like, you're a liar, get out of our art. (laughs) (laughs) You know nothing. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, Sondheim is is great. Um, I love Adam Gettle's approach to harmony because Mm. it reminds me a lot of like where contemporary opera could be and isn't. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of feelings regarding the art music world. I mean, I love it. It's still something that I very much love to write, but I think we've pushed the boundaries a little too far on where music has to be to satisfy academia rather Mm -hmm. than inviting our audience in to understand what the art is that you're trying to create. Um, Adam Gettle's Light in the Piazza, I think, is a perfect balance of that, Mm -hmm. where it's got some very extended harmonies, but it all fits and it all fits into the lush atmosphere that he's created. Um, Contemporary voices... um, and I know I'm biased because I've worked with them. I think Kate <laughs> Kerrigan is a brilliant lyricist. Mm. And the way that she and Brian Loudermilk work together is an, just an amazing pair. Mm. Um, who do you think, like, are, <laughs> are there some, some specific people who you feel like, I mean, probably all of those people you've mm-hmm. named so far, but do you think, can you see some specific people, like, in, the, in some of the songs that you've written? Yeah, my piano influences have had a little bit too much Jason Robert Brown recently. 
Because <laughs> I start playing through them and I'm like, why did I write this this hard? It didn't have to be this way. Um, I What I appreciate about this particular show is I have been wanting to write musical theater for you know, five, six years now. Mm-hmm. I am not a good lyricist. I okay. have, I've found that inside myself that words are not something that comes naturally to me. But harmony and most of the time melody does. Mm-hmm. So I asked all of my friends to write my lyrics for me. That's super cool. It was, it, they came through with flying colors. <laughs> and in doing that, I was able to take their lyrics and say, oh, interesting, okay, this is in this particular lyricist style mm-hmm. that can translate to this type of musical piece and work. Cool. Um, and just from my own studies, it's been able, it, it feels very natural, the things that we've created. Yeah. We'll see if the execution is the same, but I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited for this. And I knew yeah. that if I didn't like set a deadline, ask my army of friends to help me, I was never going to do this. Yeah. Maybe 10 years down the road, I'd write a musical, but it was never going to be the catalyst that I needed to say, I'm here because I want to write theater. Yeah. I still want to write wind ensemble pieces. And like, you right. can still pay me to write wind ensemble pieces. Right. <laughs> You're like, I'll do it. Yeah. Like, just, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I want to circle back to something that you said earlier, just with, like, art music versus, like, popular music. I mean, just to literally boil all music down to two very broad categories. (laughs) Um, Art music versus popular music. Uh, I wonder, you know, because I listen to some of your music and like it's it's very beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> what I've listened to, and I wonder just because I do, you know, I play a lot of contemporary classical music. I really love it, but I do feel like sometimes, personally, what I feel is sometimes there's this pressure to like, oh, if it's pretty and it has a melody, like oh that like that's not serious new music like do you ever feel that way oh all the time (laughs) all the time I loved every degree that I had but there were some times where like I was ready for the fight yeah of and not with my like comp professors I I loved every comp professor that I had Mm -hmm. but oftentimes with my peers and just like general academia I write for the most part tonal music Mm -hmm. and a lot of people think that that is not where music has gone or is going Uh and I think that is unfair to ignore 500 plus years of music history where people resonated with tonal music right and so for me to take more of an approach where like no I want to write tonal music that an audience is going to understand Mm -hmm. that and I'm not saying talking down to the audience or talking down to my players like there is it's a triangle of where you have to have artistic satisfaction yeah you have to be satisfied as a composer your audience has to be satisfied and your players have to be satisfied you Mm. have to write it so your performers feel they're getting something out of it your audience same way and you have to be true to your own voice yeah I think that I think there are some composers who you know they and like you know what you said about being true to yourself I think that's almost the most important most important thing just I think there's some composers who really they set out they think that it's their responsibility maybe to make their audience feel uncomfortable or uneasy which is fine if they Mm -hmm. if that's their goal like great but it's like I feel like there's so much more room than people allow for sometimes to just have a different goal with your audience yeah (laughs) I think that's okay (laughs) exactly And I've taken a stance, at least in this point in my career, aside from the theater stuff, um, my biggest thing as a writer is I want to be a writer. 
I don't want to say I'm just a theater writer. I'm just a wind ensemble writer. I'm just a choral writer. But You're something... You're trying to write good music. And that's, that's exactly <laughs> it. And I... Putting a pin in that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have taken a big stance recently where I've written a lot of music for students. Uh-huh. And that's, I think, where a lot of the conversation regarding art music stops is how can you ask freshmen in college to not perform Schubert, which has been dead for a hundred years, when there's no contemporary replacement that's right for their particular point in which they're learning. Yeah. And so if we if a bunch of contemporary composers sat out or set out to set a bunch of German lead for easy voice, easy piano, you might see more contemporary works performed that might have a slightly different harmonic aspect than the German tradition. Yeah. But I can't ask people to not perform Mozart when they're learning things because it's so good for the technique. Right. For sure. And that was a big obstacle in my degree degree programs where I was told to write for the best player the hardest that you could write and I understand writing to that extreme to know where the instrument can go right but if you don't dial it back to 75 percent how many times are you going to get performed that's a very good point musical theater stays within a pretty solid box Mm -hmm. where you want to write something that a freshman in college can sing for her juries yeah or you know of you know a senior can use on his showcase that he might be using for auditions for agents yeah yeah <laughs> it's the like if you if you want to get your music performed like yeah right. yeah <laughs> I feel like it's yeah I mean I I being someone who I like I definitely see both sides being somebody yeah. who loves contemporary classical music and like playing some of the really thorny stuff like I, I, you know, sympathize with the plight of, you know, people who write that music who's like, nobody ever wants to listen to my music. But it's like, you can only, like, bitch about that so much. Right. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it, if it's really hard and not super accessible, like, you got to understand that it's just not, it's maybe not going to get performed as much. Exactly. Which, I mean... And maybe that maybe that's okay. Maybe it just needs to be, like, I mean, it, it, that doesn't mean it's not good. That doesn't mean that, like, it doesn't have value. It's just maybe not going to get performed all the time. Right. With audiences of 10,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's something to be said, like, I hate the term sellout, but yeah. going back into all of these composers that we studied and how they made a living, whether it was a patronage system or anything like that, mm-hmm. you look at old Haydn and Handel sonatas yeah. that could double for both flute and violin. Why aren't we approaching our classical writing or, mm. or, or acoustic writing yeah. in the same fashion? You mean so, like where it's it's like there are arrangements of the same piece for yeah. two different... I do love... Like Augusta Reed Thomas, I feel like, has done that a bunch. I, I was noticing that, on her, you know, because I was like looking through her works. On her, I don't know her works as well as mm-hmm. I should. And... Uh, and she's so great. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Gusty. And, uh, and I was looking through her works, and I was like, man, like, for a second, I wasn't sure how I felt about it, just because it's not something that I've seen that much. Right. And then I was like, no, that's, like, a really great idea. <laughs> and that's great that she's doing that. It Absolutely. makes so much sense. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Like, there's no reason why I couldn't write a cello piece mm-hmm. that I rework to work for bassoon, yeah. potentially trombone, and it makes it a different difficulty at all of those levels because yeah. each of those instruments is so different. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, <laughs> so I want to ask you, uh, we, we talked a little bit about Cheaper Than Therapy, mm-hmm. this, this program that you're having at, at Davenport's. Um, can you go into a little more detail about the impetus for it? Just because, like, and the, the premise. Absolutely. I would be <laughs> delighted. Um, so the idea of Cheaper Than Therapy, um, first of all, I am a huge proponent of mental health care. Yes. Do what you need to do. I don't owe you my story. You don't owe me your story, but you owe it to be. You owe it to yourself to be honest with yourself. Um, and so I'm a big proponent of talking to a stranger. Um, all through my degree programs, I always had a counselor just mm-hmm. to be like am I doing okay even if it was the validation that everything was fine yeah um, after I graduated with my master's I went into a corporate day job you know salary benefits yeah 40 hours a week and I was miserable mm-hmm. because I was also doing the art art hustle on the side right. I was reorchestrating an opera I was dealing with premieres I was dealing with different performances that I had and I was working a hundred hours a week Bleh. and the commute and everything, I was, I was spiraling fast and I'm like, oh, I need to see a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> you need to figure out like how to get okay with this. And my corporate insurance plan covered nothing up to the deductible, essentially. Very, yeah. very little. Like if you had to go into like urgent care, that was fine, but did not cover therapy. <laughs> and That's so looking so at all of the different options what for coverage. What year was this? <laughs> this is 2014. Oh no, 2016, God. excuse me. Holy crap. I know, it was like. It's but a it garbage was, plan. It was a garbage plan. <laughs> and I'm looking at this and like absolutely irritated because yeah. it was cheaper for me to write a bunch of songs, throw them up at a, write a bunch of songs with my friends, throw them up at a venue, uh-huh. and make it a night of musical theater than it was to go see a therapist. Oh, my God. And so the impetus of the show, Cheaper Than Therapy, when it's a catchy title enough for people to be like, I'm intrigued. What is this? But it's also, this? like, literal. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so the entire night, the story that happens in between is like I am in a therapy session. Yeah. And so I'm doing it in character. We'll oh see how goodness. much of it is in tr- or how much of it is true because really realistically I'm the only one that suffers if I lie to my therapist. So um, and my friends came through with flying colors with ideas of songs to be able to even fit my narrative, their narrative, anything. Oh my goodness. Um, so but, are you, are you singing all the songs? No. Oh okay okay okay. okay. Peace and blessings. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you can't tell, I'm very congested at the moment. Right. I am doing only a few of them, and then I hired my army of friends to uh, be able to come and yeah. Take and care then of the you'll rest just like me. sit back and like relax. No, well, I'm, I'm playing. You won't it. Yeah. I'm so. <laughs> <laughs> Every <laughs> relaxation afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Everything. So everything that you're not singing on, are you are you mm-hmm. accompanying? Yep. Okay. Cool. Or collaborating, I should say. I have no problem with accompanying. Okay. <laughs> um. I've had a lot of, I'm an improv pianist, Uh so I have a totally different idea of what the word collaboration truly means. Um, Love my collaborative pianist community, community, but those that insist on being called a collaborator often just like want to like have control. Uh Um, It's still like, I still feel like with classical music, you've got a pianist and you've got a singer and it's like oil and water in a water bottle and you shake it up really, really hard to like make it seem like they're going to work together. But realistically, both are still there. (laughs) 
Um, again, love my community so much, but the um, uh, it wasn't until I started improving really hard that I'm like, oh, this is real collaboration. Like I am in this scene with these people, and we're yeah. all creating. Like <laughs> you're in like, the whoa, okay, <laughs> this is intense. Um, when you're um, accompanying on some of your own songs, mm-hmm. do you find that I'm just curious? Uh, do you find that you have a hard time, like, sort of separating? Um, do you find yourself sort of like listening too much to what's going on because you're like, this is my piece, I made it, like, I, or this is my, it's a song, it's a song. I keep so, forgetting. Oh, I can call good. it a song. You're good. <laughs> Um, do you have a hard time sort of separating yourself, like, you know, in terms of like the performing aspect and the I, I wrote this aspect? I've never really thought about that. Um, a lot of times I don't perform my own music. And mm. part of that is the um, classical tradition. Yeah. If I'm writing a classical pianist, piano piece, there is another pianist that's going to be better at it than okay. I am. Um, I when. I play for my theater stuff. I've got a very bare bones piano part. Okay. I don't typically notate out what I want in the piano until after the performance has happened. Oh. And a lot of that comes from my improv background where in creating that piece in the moment, um, what I particularly love about musical theater, especially if it's piano vocal, Mm -hmm. is it is ink on a page and it's not a solid interpretation of what you need to be doing. Right. right Your singers right. front fa- front phrase, they back phrase. Right. They make their choices based on their art- their acting experience. Yeah. And it's my job as the pianist to mimic that. Uh-huh. Or even if it goes to a forte and the p- the actor decides to bring it in to a mezzo piano, I need to be at mezzo piano with him and I need to be reading that. Okay. Um, far different from the classical world where yeah. even if in the opera that I wrote I had to be the one controlling all the dynamics and I was like or we could let them play with it and then we figure out from there what we want but that's not that's not that tradition right so from the theater perspective if there's anything that I'm creating it's just a lead sheet for the performers that's the bare bones of what I'm creating so they know where their melody's going I know what I want pianistically because I've done it in the demo for them and then in the moment we're doing what we need to to get to the end and then once I've got my recordings I go back and I notate something close to what I did yeah and that is specifically a Jason Robert Brown thing he never plays his songs the same way twice but he was a jazz pianist at Eastman I think don't quote me on that I know he was at Eastman (laughs) I don't think he finished okay um sure but uh not that not that that matters I just happened to know that (laughs) I play. Um, I played on the tour of Bridges of Madison County. Oh my and, like, gosh! <laughs> um, and like, just happened I to like pick up so a much. couple, like a little pieces of trivia about Jason Robert Brown there you that go. I would never have known otherwise. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, I listened to recordings of his, and I, I remember trying to play through things of his. So, like, full disclosure, you can see them, but the audience can't. I have Donald Trump hands. <laughs> I have very small hands for a piano. I hear (laughs) you. Yeah, yeah. I can barely reach a ninth for piano. Uh Like, it works great when I'm doing quintal chords, but that's about it. Right. Um, And so, in learning his stuff, in studying his stuff, because you have to, Uh um, I really believe that he made the keyboard such an 
instrumental part of contemporary musical theater. Yeah. Um, so you have to study his stuff. There are some things that he did that I'm like, why is this so stupid hard? <laughs> and it's because somebody notated out something that he had done. Right. And that's what ended up making it in there. Like, there's a couple measures Oops. in. Yeah, there's a couple measures in. I'm not afraid of anything. Mm-hmm. That like keep it from being able to be played by a B minus pianist. Yeah, it's two measures. <laughs> and I, after learning that, it's like two measures, just really separate the weed from the chaff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and studying that, working inside of his music, I realized that, you know. I can create something that is going to be enough for other people to mm-hmm. do as well as do my own thing. Yeah. And as long as somebody's being honest to what their interpretation of it is, that's fine by me. I'm not mm. one of those composers that's like, you have to do this here all the time unless I have a really good explanation for it. Right. Like, yeah. That's awesome. Sorry. I love it. No. <laughs> Why are you sorry? Don't be sorry. So my brain like goes we're here for you, We're here for you to talk. I want you to keep Is talking. Is this my therapy session? <laughs> Why not? It's cheaper. <laughs> um, so are you going to write a, like a, a full-fledged musical? Yes. <gasps> yep. I have um, a couple things in the works. Okay. I don't want to give too much right, away right. until things are... Um, on more solid footing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or like contracts are signed and things like right, that. Right. Um, totally. But I've been very, very lucky. Um, a woman who has helped write four of the songs for this show. Mm. Um, her name is Laura Stratford. She's mm-hmm. the new artistic um, director of Underscore Theater Company. Okay. Um, she and I are collaborating on something that I'm really excited for. Um, I love her. She is brilliant. She's so good with words. So smart. Um, yeah. Stay tuned. Awesome. If you okay, so I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I know that like (laughs) your your musical theater uh, aesthetic is very like piano forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you like, if you had your way, like, would you? What would be like your ideal instrumentation? Ooh, for this show or just period? Period. Okay, um, this is a slightly longer story. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, when you go back to talking about musical theater heroes, okay, the people that like came before me that I've studied and really love. There is one person whose career I would love mine to follow that particular path, mm-hmm. and that person happens to be Jeff Richmond. Okay. Um, it always bothers me when I say, like, I want to be Jeff Richmond, and people are like, cool, who's that? <laughs> um, Jeff Richmond was an improv pianist in this city who mm. happened to meet his wife in the improv scene. His wife is Tina Fey. Oh. And so Jeff Richmond. Right. right. So okay. once you hear that, it makes all <laughs> no, the sense I was in definitely the one of those people who's like, who's Jeff Richmond? Um, but now I, like, remember. Uh. So he wrote the music for 30 Rock. He wrote the music hey. for Mean Girls. He wrote the music and songs for Kimmy Schmidt and yeah. now wrote the musical Mean Girls. Yeah. And so all of that being said, he's so well-versed in style mm-hmm. that anything that he's needed, he's used. And that in particular is is something I want to mimic budget providing. 
So if I have to write, you know, something that is more contemporary, mm-hmm. is, is in this day and age, I would go with your basic rhythm combo, piano, guitar, bass, drums, and I know it's sitting right next to me, but always a cello. Yeah. Always a cello. I can never I get can enough hear you. cello. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm a harpist as well, so if I can throw a harp in a pit, that's yeah. like a, a You like never day. see harps in the pit anymore. I saw one in, no- in November, <gasps> and that was amazing. Oh, my God. Um, that was for Kate Kerrigan and Brian Loudermilk's The Mad Ones. Oh, that was beautiful. So cool. And then they had a harp when I saw Sunday in the Park. Uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal and Annalie Ashford. That was... Oh, you saw that? I did. Uh, was it... Did you like it? I cried so hard. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. But wow. those are... I mean, those are instruments I feel particularly drawn to. If I can throw a reed in there, I will. Um, yeah. I miss the large Broadway sound. Yeah. And anytime I can hear it, I love it. And given you have to have a production with a huge budget to be able right. to do that. So... Um, Again, it's the economical thing back to Handel and Haydn. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) If I can make this work on a viola-violin combination rather than a flute, what's going to be the more economical? Yeah, that makes sense. It's very practical. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So can you tell us anything else that we need to know for Cheaper Than Therapy? It's on Thursday. Thursday at... Davenport's at eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, reserve your tickets, so then we know how many servers they have to have there. <laughs> right, right. Um, more than anything, come to have a good time. Yeah. Um, I've tailored the night to be a good time. There's going to be times where it might be sad. There's going to be times it might be happy. Um, I've already apologized to my mother for some of the jokes that are going to be told, <laughs> and it's. It's not there to make you feel uncomfortable. It's there to make you f- reflect on if you should be, you know, if you should go and talk to somebody that isn't in your circle. Yeah. Um, I've been very fortunate to have talked with several of my collaborators and other friends to have put together a list of affordable mental health resources here that you are all going to get before you leave. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that. it's like, you know, for the price of a nice meal, you can get a therapy session. That's actually really helpful. And that was, I had somebody told me that on my day job that like you can, just because you have insurance doesn't mean you can't be seeking out these other places. Yeah. But where I grew up in the middle of nowhere, you did what you were used to. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's all, it's all going to be fun. I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm super excited. Um, So, oh, um, and you have a website. Yes. Yes www.heidijostin.com Okay, and that is Heidi, how you would expect it to be spelled, and then J-O-O-S-T-E-N Like a knockoff graduation ring company (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for talking about this show with me I'm so excited Thank you so much for having me